0: City WLCC Brandon.
1: Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey.
2: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: What does this reveal to us about salvation? It reveals, as I just said, that people come to Christ and salvation under very different circumstances and there is no precise identical situation by which people have to enter his kingdom. It just doesn't work that way. Some people are like the man who found the hidden treasure. They weren't looking for the Lord. They weren't looking for the truth of the gospel. They didn't even have an interest in what we would call religious matters. They were just living out the daily routines of life, going to work, perhaps raising a family, making money, trying to enjoy life when they heard the gospel.
2: This is Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible study featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater. Today, Steve will be discussing the different ways the gospel can come to a person, sometimes when that person is not even looking for it. We welcome you to our class. This is the second of three parts to a message on the parables of the hidden treasure and the costly pearl. Jesus spoke these parables to his disciples to show them the hidden mysteries of the kingdom he was establishing. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Here now with today's class is Pastor Steve.
1: Paul begins to bring out his former Jewish credentials. He says, circumcised the eighth day, that was the right day, the Mosaic law, said to be circumcised, of the nation of Israel, that is, the nation God had revealed his truth to, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most esteemed tribes in Israel, because the first king, Saul, came from that tribe, his son, Jonathan, came from that tribe. Esther and Mordecai came from that tribe. And Paul came from that tribe, an esteemed tribe. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. That, that's the most strict observer of the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. What Paul means is that he kept all of the outward trimmings of the law all the external observances. Paul said, if you looked at my life in the past, you'd see I kept them all, all the sacrifices, all the holidays, everything. I was blameless. But he says in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, whatever things promoted me, he means, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Said I I give them up. And look at this, verse 8 is great. More than that I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Think about that. Paul said, not only did I give up all of my credentials as a great Jewish leader in, in my Pharisee ways, but I count, he said, all things lost. Everything is lost. And that's fine for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Notice this, the loss of all things. But how did he count them? I count them but rubbish, garbage, trash, that I may know Christ and may gain Christ. Paul says all of these things in his former way of life, which made him look so good in the eyes of others and made him feel so good about himself, he came to consider as absolutely worthless in light of Of gaining Christ. He speaks of knowing Christ as the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He just joyfully gave up everything, everything to have that cherished treasure, Jesus Himself. See, folks, that that is the mark of someone who has experienced genuine conversion in Christ. And they won't let anything or anyone keep them from salvation. Nothing is more important or valuable to a Christian than having Jesus and his spiritual riches. That's really the norm for every believer. This is not simply the testimony of a super-duper apostle. Now, it may be true that you don't have Paul's religious background, but whatever you have in your background, you ought to look back at and say, I give them all up joyfully. They're just trash to me, because they all they did was promote me. All they did was give me pleasure, but I, I give them all up for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So this is not the unique experience of an apostle. This is the experience and norm. For a believer, listen to what John MacArthur wrote years ago in his landmark book, The Gospel According to Jesus. He wrote, obviously a new believer does not fully understand all the ramifications of the lordship of Jesus at the moment of conversion. Let me stop there and just comment and say, that's a great statement. Because sometimes when you hear this about lordship, you think that, that does that mean that that everything, we just are perfectly, instantly sanctified? The moment we come to Christ, we know all the sin in our lives and we have to give them all. up. No. No, he's just saying that we don't fully understand this all. However, he goes on to say, not at the moment of our conversion we don't understand it all, but he says, and I continue, a true believer has a desire to surrender. That's a great statement. At your conversion, you may not have understood all the ramifications of Christ's lordship, but you did have a desire to surrender because God put that desire in your heart. I continue again. This is what distinguishes, MacArthur writes, true faith from a bogus profession. True faith is humble, submissive obedience. As spiritual understanding unfolds, that obedience grows deeper, and the genuine believer displays an earnestness and eagerness to please Christ by abandoning everything to his lordship. This willingness to surrender to divine authority is a driving force in the heart of every true child of the kingdom. It is the inevitable expression of the new nature, meaning that that God who opens your heart to the gospel opens your heart by way of surrendering your old way of life for Christ. As you grow in Christ, the evidence of being a truly converted person is that you continue to surrender to Christ. Lordship. You don't even know the issues at the point of salvation that will be involved in later on that you will surrender. But because there is a new nature in you, you want to do right. You want to please him. And it is surrender is the driving force in the heart of a true child of the kingdom. Now, as we go back to these parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, understand that both men in these parables illustrated by their surrender of everything they owned, the true worth and value that a believer places upon Christ and his kingdom. I want you to understand that is the essential and primary spiritual meaning of these two parables. That's the main point. They teach us that the true value of Christ and his kingdom is absolutely priceless. There's nothing that a person who is drawn to Christ wouldn't give up to have him. See, understand, regardless of the low view that unbelievers have towards the message of the gospel, That's not our view. Unbelievers do have a low view. They often regard it as absolutely foolish, absolutely irrelevant. In fact, just last night, I was talking to my dad, who is going to be 93 years old in a few weeks, and he is as close to the gospel as ever. It is the time of the year that Jewish people celebrate what's called the High Holy Days. They've just celebrated the Jewish New Year, known as Rosh Hashanah. And in a few days, they will celebrate the Day of Atonement known as Yom Kippur. And so I, in light of the conversation I was having with my dad, I tried to insert some spiritual truth into that because he has never really thought about that. And uh, as I brought up that Jesus is the sacrifice and that God is holy and there must be a sacrifice to approach him, he just immediately changed the subject. And he knew exactly, he's 93 years old, but his mind is sharp. He knows exactly. What I was saying, he just doesn't want to talk about it. It's irrelevant. He would say, why would we discuss this? Because we would just argue about it. It's not worth discussing. And another point in the conversation, I tried to bring up something too, because he spoke about these little prayer books that he has. I said, you realize that's the writings of men as opposed to the Bible, which is the truth from God. Once again, it was just went on to another subject. And all that to say this that that's the way many unbelievers are. They have no interest in the kingdom. They see it as foolishness, something that's not even worth discussing. And yet, every born-again Christian knows that the gospel is worth everything. The gospel is worth everything. We know the true worth and value because God has opened the eyes of our hearts to see its true worth and value. And unless God did that, we wouldn't see it. We would just be as closed to the gospel as, as others. But there is nothing more precious and more important than having Christ in our lives. Now, if that's not true of you, if that's not true of your, in your life, if Jesus isn't the most important person in your life, the person whom you value above everyone and everything else, then you need to think this through. You need to consider that you have never come to know him. Because the mark of a true believer is that there is nothing more important in this world than Christ. If that's not the case in your life, then you have what MacArthur called a bogus profession of faith, if you even have a profession of faith at all. So we do need to realize this. The primary message of these two parables is a critical one because they really determine the very destiny of our souls. True believers come in repentance to Christ and we surrender our all for his kingdom, for him. We see it as a priceless treasure. We're willing to give up anything and everything to have him. However, that's the main message of these parables, but this morning, I want to take us a little bit deeper, and I want us to see that there are some more truths, important truths about salvation that emerge from these parables. They may not be the the primary truth, but they nonetheless are are here, and the reason I want us to see this is because the more we understand uh, about kingdom truths, the more we understand about our king and the precious salvation that we have in him. So I want us this morning to look at two more important truths about salvation that are revealed in these parables, understanding that the primary one we've already gone over, Christ is a priceless treasure that we're willing to give up, everything to have him. But let's go deeper now. The first important truth that I want us to see about salvation that emerges from these parables is this. Salvation comes to people under different circumstances, different situations in life. As we've already noted, both men in these parables had similar attitudes towards their treasures. Both of these men were willing to give up everything they had just to get this treasure. But there is something very different about these men, and it's an important difference. Each man, note this, came upon his treasure differently, very differently. The man, for example, who discovered the treasure hidden in the field, apparently wasn't looking for it. He he appears to have just stumbled upon it. We don't believe that there are any accidents because God is sovereign, but you understand when I say this, it certainly looked like he accidentally came upon it. But the other man, the merchant, discovered his precious pearl as a result of making a diligent search for it. Notice that in the parable of the pearl, Jesus specifically said, and I quote, the kingdom of heaven is like a man seeking fine pearls. So one man came upon his treasure, even though he wasn't looking for it, the other man came upon his treasure after making a diligent search for it. That's what I mean, that people come into Christ's kingdom under different circumstances. What does this reveal to us about salvation? It reveals, as I just said, that people come to Christ and salvation under very different circumstances, and there is no precise identical situation by which people have to enter his kingdom. It just doesn't work that way. Some people are like the man who found the hidden treasure? They weren't looking for the Lord. They weren't looking for the truth of the gospel. They didn't even have an interest in what we would call religious matters. They were just living out the daily routines of life, going to work, perhaps raising a family, making money, trying to enjoy life when they heard the gospel. They weren't looking for the gospel, they heard it. How? Well, Could be any number of ways, perhaps a friend witnessed to them, maybe somebody at work, maybe they attended a church and heard a sermon that presented the way of salvation, or maybe they heard a radio program proclaim Christ, maybe somebody gave them a book that they read, a tract. Maybe they heard a message on CD or tape. Whatever it was, they heard the gospel, and God opened their hearts to the gospel. They believed it, repented of their sin, and they were saved. But they weren't looking for it came looking for them. There are many people just like that. They're not looking for Christ's kingdom. They're not interested in it. But upon learning about Jesus, they find themselves being drawn to him because God supernaturally has worked in their hearts. He has regenerated them. So they saw the true value of salvation. They turned to him for that salvation. Paul, the apostle Paul, who we just noted before, came to Christ under circumstances like those. Paul wasn't searching to know if Jesus was the truth, was he? He wasn't reading his Bible, looking at uh, messianic prophecies when, and comparing them with what Christians were saying about Jesus. No, Paul hated the church. Paul hated Jesus. He tried to destroy the church of Christ because he hated, he hated Christ and he hated the people who believed in Christ because he was very zealous for his own religion, Judaism, and he felt that Christianity was a threat to the very future of Judaism, because so many Jewish people were coming to Christ. But even though Paul wasn't seeking to know the truth of the gospel, God still sought him, and he brought him to saving faith in his son. Paul was just like that man who stumbled upon the hidden treasure. God went looking for him. I'm also reminded, and you don't need to look this up. Most of you are familiar with this individual. There is a woman presented in John chapter four, known as the woman at the well, also called the Samaritan woman. Samaritans were a mixed breed of Jewish people and pagan Gentiles, but it wasn't simply their um, backgrounds in, in terms of their their ancestors. It was a matter that Samaritans worshipped differently. Samaritans embraced some things of the Bible, but mostly they embraced paganism. That was their heritage. That was their background. And they had a whole religion um, that was basically pagan, but it had a little bit of Judaism in it. And one day we read that Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4 tells us, About this. He engaged her in conversation, which was very unusual. Jewish people and Samaritans didn't usually have conversations, they despised each other. And it was very unusual for Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, to speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Now, this woman, we're told in John 4, just came to get water at a well. That's all she was interested in doing. She apparently, as the conversation unfolds, we learn that she apparently was very satisfied in her Samaritan way of worship and religion. She wasn't looking to make a change in her core beliefs. In fact, she said to Jesus, as he engaged her in a conversation, she said, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans worship In another place, she meant Mount Gerizim, which is where their temple was. So she wasn't looking to make a change. She seems very satisfied with her Samaritan worship, sort of puts down Jesus for being a Jew, worshiping in Jerusalem. She was also an immoral woman because Jesus said, go and tell your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're absolutely right. You've had several before. The man you're living with now, you're not married to. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And Jesus went on to tell her that he was more than a prophet because she made the comment, I know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So in this conversation, we realized that this woman only came trying to get some, some water. But as Jesus encountered her, he opened her heart to the gospel. All she wanted that day, all she was really looking for was just some liquid Water to draw from a well, but the Lord revealed to her heart the great need she had for living water that would never run dry, and that came by faith in him. This woman became a believer, went to her town and told everybody else, and they came to speak to Christ, and many believed. You know, I was thinking about this this week. As I look back on my own conversion as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of South Florida, I realized that I I really wasn't interested in finding out about Jesus Christ. I had absolutely no attraction to the gospel. I wasn't absorbed or preoccupied in knowing about Christ. I, I really didn't care. I didn't care at all. But I had a friend who did care. I had a friend who was a new believer in Christ, and he witnessed to me, And he loved the Lord, and I kept telling him I didn't want to hear this. And so I I finally decided to purchase a Bible, and I decided that I would read the New Testament so that I could intelligently tell my friend why I didn't believe in Jesus. I thought I needed to give something of substance. But it was while I was reading the New Testament, I didn't really get very far. It was just the Gospel of Matthew that I discovered the priceless treasure of Jesus Christ. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't interested, but first I came to admire him as a man, and then I came to worship him as Lord and Savior. And that's really been the experience of so many people who have come to faith in Christ. They weren't pursuing him. They saw no need in their life for him, but God sovereignly chose to open their hearts to the gospel and bring them into his kingdom. There is a wonderful verse, and you don't need to turn there, but I definitely would mark this down in your notes. Isaiah 65, verse 1. It speaks of God's sovereign work of grace in revealing himself to those who previously had no interest in him. This is Isaiah 65, verse 1. It is important the Apostle Paul will later use this very verse in Romans to make a very significant point. Isaiah 65 verse 1 says this, God speaking through the prophet, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. The apostle Paul uses this very verse in Romans chapter 10 and applies it to Gentiles in the first century who came to faith in Christ even though they were not looking for him. Paul speaks of them as a nation. Now, he doesn't mean one literal nation, but as a nation of Gentiles as opposed to the Jewish nation who had all the information they needed, all the religious trappings and things that they that they needed, and yet the nation of Israel for the most part, they weren't interested. The Gentiles, they were very interested because God did that interest in their hearts. Initially, they weren't interested, and that's the point. The Gentiles of Christ's day were caught up in their paganism. They initially didn't care about the God who had revealed himself to the Jewish people, but God allowed them to pursue him. He opened their hearts. The Gentiles of Christ's day believed in a plurality of uncaring, unmerciful gods. They weren't looking to find the one true God who is merciful, but God opened their hearts to the gospel. Most Gentiles of of Christ's day didn't know about the messianic prophecies found in scripture, as did all Jewish people of, of those times. And yet the Lord allowed them to find him, though at first they were not looking. They had no understanding of God's holiness, no need they felt for a substitute sacrifice for their sins like the Jewish people knew. And yet... They were not seeking him initially, but they found him. And why did so many Gentiles of that day come to faith in Christ and are still coming to him? Because God sovereignly permitted himself, as he says in Isaiah, to be found by those who did not seek him. That's been the experience of many people down through the years and may indeed fit the experience of many here today. God has sovereignly brought you to himself, even though you had no prior interest in knowing him. You saw no need in your life to know him, yet he permitted himself to be found by you. Like the man in the first parable who was permitted to find the hidden treasure. Just sort of stumbled upon it as it looks like we stumble upon Christ, even though we understand God behind the scenes is opening our hearts. On the other hand, we have the merchant in the second parable who was seeking fine pearls. And he represents someone who comes to Christ under very different circumstances unlike the man who came upon his treasure without looking for it, this man did make a diligent search for his treasure he traveled the world over looking for the finest of pearls now what kind of a saved person does this man represent he represents the kind of person who before coming to christ was very interested in spiritual reality Very interested. He was the type of individual who was looking for something more in his life than just making money, just raising a family, just having a good time, because he realized that his life lacked purpose and it lacked meaning. Oftentimes, people like this embrace one religion after another. They often go from one type of church to another looking for the truth, or they get involved in philosophy. They're reading all the books. They're trying to figure it all out, trying to find something that will satisfy their aching heart, their heart that's restless, but they don't find anything. They don't find anything in religion or philosophy or self-help books. They don't find anything to meet the deep emptiness and void in their life until, until the Lord sovereignly reveals Christ to their hearts. And like the merchant who finally found the perfect pearl that he had been searching for, this type of sinner, upon realizing the true value of Christ, knows that he has at last found the answer to the deepest cries of his heart. His search is over. Search is over.
2: There is such a sense of relief and joy that comes over a person when they find in Christ Jesus all they have been seeking for in life. Our prayer is that you too have found the peace that only Jesus can give. If you don't have that peace, look to Jesus and put your trust in His finished work on the cross. Ask Him to come into your life to save you and be the Lord of all your circumstances. A book containing some of the best of Pastor Steve Kreloff's messages can be yours for a gift of any size to verse-by-verse ministries. This offer is to express our appreciation for your prayer and financial support of this ministry. Send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. You can donate online by going to our website, verse by verse radio all one word dot org. You may also call us at 727 239 0306 to make a donation. Timeless truths from a faithful shepherd will be sent to you for a contribution of any size. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn,
0: head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.